Hey, Forge family. God bless you. In our last episode out of 1 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter tells his readers that they are passionately loved by God. They're so loved that God sacrificed his own son for their salvation in Christ. Now, out of that position of being so loved, Peter urges his readers, and that's us, that's the people who got this circular letter that passed from the Mediterranean up that highway through the provinces of Asia Minor, from the Mediterranean to the Black Sea, and all the little house churches read it and copied it and poured over it and preached it back and forth to each other, okay? So Peter is saying to the readers of this letter, and that's us too, we're supposed to hold ourselves back constantly from the strong desires, if you will, the lusts that drove the pagan culture around the people in those little house churches. See, if we let that stuff slip in, if we let it, if we get on a slippery slope, then sensuality and and, and lusts and drunkenness and carousals, the drinking parties, they, you know, that, that was simply the worship in public, in the street, of being outrageously drunk and, and roaring from down the streets, hanging on to each other, worshiping Dionysius, the god of wine, and the god of excess wine, okay? And, and lastly, the abominable idolatries. I mean, the hideous, awful, wicked things that were done in the temples. And so Peter says, don't let that stuff get in. Instead, get it out. Instead, you know, Peter urges his readers to keep their behavior excellent. You're being watched, family. And when you're watched, you will be slandered. Okay? Now, then Peter comes back and he says, you silence that slander. You silence those lies with your good deeds. You silence those lies by your, by your beautiful life, okay? By the lovely life that you choose in Christ. And in fact, he alludes to some evangelism that will take place at the day of visitation when people have seen the life that you live and they go, I want that. And they come to Christ because of you and your example. Then Peter says, arrange yourselves under human governments and laws. Submit to it, for this is the will of God. Now Peter, he, he was concerned that these little house churches could become anti-government and anti-ruler. And you then have, instead of you have a church, you have a bunch of anarchists. You have a bunch of people who resist all outside things. And the Lord says, no, we're not going to have that. Where you are going to submit to rulers and leaders and laws because that's my will. You answer to God in that fashion of, did I obey you to submit to those human authorities? Finally, in verse 17, remember that two-line thing that we read off? Okay, honor all men, love the brotherhood. Now, that's highly probable that if you don't honor all men, you will not be able to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Likewise, the second line is, be fearing God at all times. And if we don't do that, if we're not careful before him to honor him and to serve him and recognize he's God and I'm not, then we will not have any power to be honoring the king. God comes first and then you honor the king. All right, Forge family and all the rest of my brothers and sisters out there who are hungry ones who are listening in, let's pray. Lord, the spirit be be welcome to this to this study. Lord, um, we ask you as, as, to, as to set all these points from the last episode. Lord, we've stirred them up. We've, we've articulated them again. Put them someplace down in our heart where we can apply them. We don't need more information in our head, Lord. But we do want to apply what's true. Get us ready now, Lord, for the outbreathed scripture so that we can hear it and say, that's God. That came from God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read second, uh, excuse me, uh, in the second chapter, 1 Peter, verses 18 and 19. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Okay, this word sorrow, you know, when, when you suffer, all right, excuse me, the word suffer, it implies that you're being beaten. Okay? And, and the, the situation is that you're going to have um, a, a, a boss... See, we're not, we're, you know, we are in a situation where we're not slaves. We're not domestics. You know, we're, we own ourselves. We're free men, free women in Christ. But we work for people who are, some of whom are easy and gentle and reasonable, and some of them are hard and harsh and bent and crooked and deviant. And, and on any given day, your boss may have been raked over the coals by his boss and he's in the middle of a divorce and he's hung over and he's and somebody's going to get it because the report has to be done and guess who it's going to fall on? It's going to fall on you. And his words are loud enough to be heard all over the office. Okay? Now we, we know, you know, that there's some, you know, uh, protection of the courts uh, of workers, but that doesn't change the fact that we are fi often find ourselves in situations where if we are with a difficult boss, it's hard to keep our focus on Jesus. All right? But that's what we're called to do. Some are good, some are gentle, and some are really harsh folks. All right? And here, you know, Peter's not talking about um, slaves. He's talking about house servants. Totally different word. Now, last week I mentioned that um, in the Roman Empire there were 60 million slaves. And that came about because some civilizations defied Rome. They fought back. They inflicted great harm against Roman legions and armies and outposts. And, and the Roman government was savage. They just said, all of you will be sold as slaves. Well, what that meant was whole civilizations got picked up and there were elite, skilled fighters and teachers and masons and musicians and 
and tutors, and they all went across the slave block and were sold. And those people who were now slaves, they were once free, now they're slaves. They did the work in the Roman Empire. And the owners, the rich owners who owned the slaves, they lived lives of extravagance and complete ease because the whole business of running an empire was run by slaves. Okay, And so Peter's addressing these household servants who lived in the owner's house. They were, they were given, they were long hours, mind you, but they were given good quarters and often enough food. Okay, but they ran the house. They balanced the books. They cooked. They farmed. They tutored. They took care of the horses and animals. And they made the master and his wife look good and smell good. Okay? So when Peter says, you be submissive to your masters in all ways, okay, you do that because you answer to a higher authority. Remember the Hebrew National Sausage Company? You know, the, the motto says, we answer to a higher authority. Okay, those were the slaves. Those, those are the ones, the house, you know, who basically said, we will serve our masters with respect, regardless of how we're treated. Okay? Now, we know that the message of the gospel that went out into the, into the, Ro the Roman Empire that was preached was that every man has great worth before God. Well, that cut right across common thinking in the Roman Empire because a slave was a digit. He was a cipher. He was something to be used up and discarded and replaced and had no worth. They were viewed as non-human. And yet here, the gospel comes and says, you have great worth to God. And many of the believers who flooded into churches early on were slaves. And some of those slaves rose to be church leaders only to discover their master was in the congregation. Also a Christian, but didn't have the same gifting, didn't have the same sense of passion for the word of God. Okay, and so obviously there's some they, there was a whole thing that had to be worked out between Christian masters and Christian slaves. <clears throat> then in verse 19. Okay, there's a shift. Let me read it again. For this finds favor. It is for the sake of, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Paul um, talked about this as well. But here Peter, Peter says, we're not talking about servants anymore. We're talking about any man, any woman. He shifted from servants to the general population. Okay, when he says, if you have a conscience toward God, you're, you're doing your best as unto the Lord, and you still suffer for it, then this finds favor. It's another word for grace. The grace of God is poured out on us when we do what's right and we still suffer for it. When we do what's right and we focus on Jesus, and we didn't deserve it, but we're pummeled, we're beaten, Literally, that word for suffering, it, it means you're, you're just thumped. You're just being beaten. Okay? Verse 21 says, excuse me, verse 20. Let's read verse 20 to 24. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, 
you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Again, you know, the same words of Jesus, you know, and Peter's just repeating that. You know, if you do the wrong thing and you suffer for it, that's your fault. Okay? It doesn't, there's no benefit to you if, you if you take your beating joyfully. Okay? Okay? Especially if it's your fault to begin with. But if you do the right thing and you're unjustly accused and you're beaten, then you find favor with God. So this is still reaching into the slave quarters. It's still reaching into situations where employers and lords, if you will, in the, in the Roman Empire um, made life difficult for everyone underneath them. And here's where the Christians began to shine. Okay? Verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. But while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Verse 21 says, we're called out for this purpose. And it is a, it is a, it is a dual purpose. It's a purpose to honor God. And let me, well, let me just read this section to you from Kenneth Wiest, who was a Bible teacher, scholar at Moody Bible Institute in the middle of the last century. This is what he said. The divine call of God to a lost sinner is an effectual call into salvation and an accompaniment of that salvation is suffering for righteousness' sake. The natural result of the Christian's contact with the people of the world and their reaction toward the Lord Jesus who is seen in the life of the believer. So we honestly need to stop and say, why am I not suffering? Why am I not on the outs with my boss over some things? Sometimes it's because we've accommodated. We've sort of slid into the culture. Okay? And yet these first century believers understood, I'm called to Christ and I'm called to suffer just like he was. Okay? Obviously. He suffered for us. He was beaten for us. And he left us an example to follow. So here's a word that occurs only here in the New Testament. It's the word hupogramon. Okay, and it speaks of the copybook that was given to a child to learn to copy out and trace their letters. Some of you remember, you know, either mom did it or the kindergarten teacher did it, but you'd get a piece, you'd get a picture of an animal or a picture of a letter, or the alphabet, and you were given tracing paper. And you could put the tracing paper over the animal's picture, or over the letters, and you could trace out and learn the animal, and learn the alphabet. Okay, You're to imitate it. You're to copy it. It's that kind of thing. We're supposed to put our lives over Jesus. 
and copy him so that we become like he was as he suffered. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, early on in our parenting, when we had little boys, uh, our family took a family ski weekend to uh, Heavenly Valley, which was at South Lake Tahoe. And um, after we arrived and checked in and we spent the night, we woke up and there was fresh snow. And it was deep enough so that little boys couldn't lift their knees high enough to break trail into the snow. You know, they could, they could kind of bulldoze their way forward a little bit. But ultimately, what would happen, you'd lose their balance and you'd fall forward and you get a face full of snow and it runs down your neck and down your cuffs. And they're not happy kids anymore. But if daddy got in front and daddy kicked a path and took short, deep, solid steps... My kids could get in line behind me, put their feet in my footsteps, and we could make the trail and go through the snow. That's exactly the illustration here. We're to follow Jesus' example and put our feet in his place. We're to copy his ways. In verse 22, it says, uh, he, was, he who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. That's a, that's a direct quote from Isaiah 53 the suffering servant of Yahweh, okay? But Peter doesn't, again, he doesn't just, it's not a straight quote of the Old Testament. He interprets it, again, by Holy Spirit, all right? He doesn't say that there was no, he says, the, the text in Isaiah says there's no violence in his mouth. Peter says there was no deceit in his mouth, <clears throat> okay? Same word that was used previous, start of, the, of chapter 2, okay? There, so that you're, there's no agenda, there's no sneakiness. You're, you're, you're not just going through thinking, when this is all over, I'm going to get what I want. Okay? There was no deceit in Jesus. Verse 23, when Jesus was reviled, okay, this is where you're, you're cursed, if you will, only it's harsher than that. There's a sting. There's, these are insults. And, the, and these words are intended to wound. They're intended to just cut you to the quick. Okay? Jesus did not slash back at those people with his mouth, with his attitude, with his eyes, with his posture. Okay? He did not revile back. And the text says, while suffering, okay, meaning he was being pummeled, he was being beaten. Okay. He he chose not to threaten back. See, the natural thing is, I'll get you. How dare you? You know, you open your mouth and you you defend yourself. Jesus shut his mouth. And it says he kept on entrusting himself to the God who judges right. So he slapped and cursed, but he keeps on entrusting himself to the God who judges right. And he's punched in the mouth, and there's a loose tooth, and he keeps on entrusting himself to the God who judges right. And his beard is torn from his face, and he's, his, his appearance begins to become blurred. One of the texts of the scripture says he became inhuman. 
he was beaten so badly he couldn't be recognized as human. And he kept on entrusting himself to the God who judges right. Now in verse 24, there's this great summary statement by Peter of the death and suffering of Jesus. Literally, he, he carried himself as the, as the sacrifice up to the cross. He bore himself up, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, remember? And then on himself, he took the sin of the world. And God stepped away. God turned his back. God couldn't look at that sin. God couldn't engage with that sin. Because there is no sin in his presence. Okay, and Jesus cried out and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because the sin of all of us, my sin, was on him. And, and the reason that he did that was that we might die to sin. That it's over. It's done with. It has no power over us. It's left behind us. And then we choose to live to righteousness, to, to a right standing with the Father. Okay. And then this last phrase, for by his wounds we were healed. Okay, this is Isaiah 53. Uh, again, and the, the Greek word isn't plural. It's not wounds, it's a wound. And it speaks of a huge, bloody, devastating bruise. A huge, awful wound. See, Jesus shed his blood in seven places. In the kangaroo court. He was brought off the Mount of, of uh, Gethsemane out of the olive groves and he was brought into of the garden and he, he was uh, brought into, into this kangaroo court and presented before Caiaphas and, and there, were fo- there was false testimony given of what he'd said and he didn't open his mouth. Okay? And finally, someone struck him in the mouth and he bled because he wouldn't answer the questions. And then ultimately, when it became clear that he was claiming to be the one, only, unique, singular Son of God, the Most High. He was charged with blasphemy, and they were enraged at him, and they punched him, and they slapped him, and they cursed him, and they tore out his beard, and he shed his blood in that courtroom. Then he was taken to Pilate. Pilate would have nothing to do with him because he's a Jew. Pilate had no, no uh, authority, so to speak. This was a civil matter. And yet, he said, well, fine. Scourge him and let him go. So he was beaten with a scourge. The, the whip of leather thongs. On the end of those thongs was bone and pieces of lead and obsidian or glass. Uh, and, and they were designed to... to uh, slash and lacerate on the first blow so that the blood flowed and the, and, the, and the cuts deepened and deepened and deepened as they beat him. Then he was taken out, bleeding, in shock to Herod because Herod wanted him to, to perform miracles. Herod wanted to hear, he'd heard about this. 
this miracle worker. And Jesus wouldn't answer him. And he was taunted. And he was uh, reviled. And they hung a beautiful red robe over his back. And it stuck to his bleeding back. And then he was taken and placed before the Roman cohort. And they surrounded him, put a crown of thorns on his head, and they struck him with rods. They covered his head and, and struck him in the face and said, Prophesy, who struck you? And then they tore the robe off his back and he bled. He bled from the crown of thorns and he bled from the blows and he bled from his back again. Then they put him on the Via Dolorosa and they marched him with the cross on his back, on his shredded, lacerated back. And he, they walked him toward the cross until he collapsed. And then they put it on Simeon until they got to the place of Golgotha. And then he was taken and thrown down on the cross and they pierced the hands and feet of Jesus and he bled. And late in the afternoon, with the Sabbath coming on, the execution squad broke the legs of the thief on the right and the left to hasten the death so that the cramping across the diaphragm would suffocate and kill the thieves on the cross. When they came to Jesus, they discovered he was already dead because Jesus had yielded up his spirit to the Father and died. But to prove it, that he was dead, the soldier, one of the soldiers, one of the legionnaires took the javelin and the spear, and, and pierced up underneath the rib cage of Jesus and burst the pericardial sac surrounding the heart and outflowed blood and clear fluid. It's described as water, but we know today that the heart of Jesus had burst and that clear fluid had filled the pericardial sac around the heart. And he bled on the cross. The text says, for by his wound you were healed. Okay, here in Peter, this is not the sozo word, physical healing. This is hiathete. This is a Greek word that says, by his wound you were forgiven. And you are restored to fellowship with God through your sins being covered and the wrath of God was satisfied and you are restored back into a relationship with God most high verse 25 says for you were continually straying like sheep but now now you have returned or turned another way to say it to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls <clears throat> So before we knew him, we were continually wandering. We were straying. We were in trouble. Okay? Ezekiel 34 says, verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus steps up and says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so we have the model of the Judean shepherd 
who leads out in front of the sheep. They don't wander. They follow. He leads them to still waters. He leads them to good pasture. He leads them away from danger. Okay. He calls his sheep by name. He cares for each one. He rescues them when they wander off. Because when a sheep wanders off and is lost, they don't keep wandering. They sit down. They lie down. And they wait till the shepherd comes and get them. They're incredibly vulnerable to predators at that point. They just sit down, lie down and and hope that the shepherd comes and get them. And that's what the shepherd does. He rescues his sheep. He doctors his sheep. He carries his sheep inside the, the lambs, inside of his bosom, inside his clothes to keep them warm, to restore their body temperature. And lastly, that shepherd will lay down his life to defend the sheep. And it is to that image of the shepherd that we are called. And then second, Peter says, you're called Turn your call to the guardian, literally the bishop, the overseer of your, of your souls. Someone who protects you, looks after you, looks over you. And here, this word is used only here in the New Testament, where it refers to Jesus as the bishop, the overseer, the guardian. In a wild Atlantic tropical storm, thinking he was dying, John Newton, aboard a slave, is a captain of a slave ship. He was a man of great bitter sin, a man of great deviant character. He thought he was dying, and he cried out to God, and God saved him. And these are his lyrics. Jesus, my shepherd, guardian, friend, my prophet, priest, and king, my Lord, my life, my way, my end. Accept the praise I bring. Ford's family, we're called by Apostle Peter. We're called by Holy Spirit to serve and respect and submit to those who employ us, who teach us, you know, to... Keep guard over us. You know, the police forces, you know, sometimes military authorities, we're, we're called to respect, to serve, to submit them to them. Okay, we're, we're not domestics, we're not slaves, we're not servants. But we are scattered into employment as Christians. And our focus is on Jesus in the marketplace. Now again, some bosses are gentle and reasonable and it works well. But some bosses are crooked and deviant, and brutal. Nevertheless, okay, when we suffer, and we're slandered, or we're fired, or we're shoved around, whatever it is, and it's not deserved, because we did the right thing, and we got the wrong result. Okay? Okay, but we are conscious of the presence of the Lord. Then we find favor and grace with God in serving and working well for those over us. I want to read Colossians 3, 23 and 24 to us. He says, whatever you do, do your work heartily for as, as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ 
whom you serve. So if you get tossed into situations where it looks bad, keep serving the Lord. Well, obviously, the word out of the suffering church across the globe, be it in Muslim settings, in animist settings, in idolatrous, crazy, communist settings, whatever it is, okay? When men set themselves to honor Jesus in all things, sometimes they really suffer. But God gives his grace and his favor. And the church grows. So, Forge, so, brothers and sisters, scattered abroad, run to the one who suffered for you. Run to the good shepherd of your soul. Run to the guardian and overseer of your soul. He bought and paid for you, and you are his alone. All right, Forge family, I love you. We'll see you soon.